Yeah, I think I always play like that, um, and I think I, that's kind of when I play at my best. So um, every time you go out there, whether it's preseason practice, whatever it is, I'm, I'm always uh, got something to prove, I feel like. So uh, that's what it was today, and just, just happy to go out there, have some fun, and, and get a win. Things got testy. No, yeah. Um, like I mean, like you said, I think it just, you know, continue just to do our, our thing and play our brand of football. Um, like I said, just, you know, showing up every day and, um, you know, with the fans energetic um, and they're out there, they're, they're boosting us up. Uh, we love to hear it. We love to hear the yelling and the screaming. So, um, you know, if they keep that going, you know, we'll keep keep doing what we can do. The Las Vegas Review Journal. Yeah, um, for sure. Definitely uh, seeing a whole bunch of looks from their defense and stuff like that. It was um, great to get that, great to get that experience, you know what I mean, and get those looks and um, learn from it and things like that. So it was it was great. Bishy, bishy. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, you know, after almost it feels like two years of, of really playing, you know, so it was fun to play in front of fans. Like you said, the atmosphere was great. Um, first kind of game in front of fans in Vegas. It was it was pretty fun. So just thankful for the opportunity and uh, yeah, had fun. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. Adam Candy is in today for Ed Graney as we jump back into football. The Raiders announcing last night that they will require fans to have a proof of vaccination to attend games at Allegiant Stadium this year. That came just after Steve Sisolak uh, basically gave large venues two choices, either A, have everybody masked up or B have everybody show a proof of vaccination to attend the game. And therefore mask will not be a requirement. Uh, if we look at the rest of sports, Adam, like, do you, do you think like UNLV football, you think the golden Knights, you think that just here in Las Vegas, they'll all follow the lead of the, of the uh, Raiders. Well, I think that the state of Nevada and the directive from governor Sisolak kind of gives them cover to do it if they want to, right? Like you have two choices here. You can either do what the Raiders did and require proof of vaccination or you can sign up everyone in your arena for playing mass police. And I don't know how serious the government will be about that enforcement. I don't know if they would necessarily be going through and, you know, sort of silently auditing that, but they have the cover politically to do it. It's not that hard. Like what Mark Davis chose to do while it is the right thing and absolutely deserves to be lauded. He has cover for doing it from the government. Do you think he was waiting for Sisolak to like make that announcement? Do you think Davis was ready to do that, but was like, all right, once Steve Sisolak says these are our options, that's when we'll announce it? Oh, I'm 100% certain that the Raiders and other large organizations were uh, in yeah. contact with the governor, right? I mean, it's, it's not it's not a mystery that it was only a few hours after that. It's not a mystery that it was roughly 12 hours after the government uh, the government's announcement that the uh, CES show, which is going to bring hundreds of thousands of people to the Las Vegas Convention Center in January, announced the same thing. So I would expect it from all of our teams here. Um, we'll just see when that happens. I mean, we do have Mark Davis owns the Aces. I assume we do the same thing with the Las Vegas Aces, and they have some home games coming up as well. Now, on the UNLV side, an interesting thing, if you've been out there trying to figure out what you're going to do to get to any of their first couple of home games, they play Eastern Washington and Iowa State at home in non-conference play. If you want to pay for parking to go to a UNLV football game, if you want to pay for parking to go to their first game against Eastern Washington, you are going to have to pay 50 bucks. The cheapest to park on site at Allegiant Stadium is 50 bucks. 
and also the cheapest because if you go through Allegiant Stadium's website, they take you can go to like MGM Resorts and find some of their different uh, hotels that'll be offering parking. The cheapest that they're offering is also fifty dollars uh, on site. The cheapest for that Iowa State game is a hundred and fifty dollars, which makes a little bit more sense because that game's probably going to be full of Iowa State fans. But fifty dollars to park for a UNLV game against Eastern Washington when your ticket definitely isn't going to cost $50 to get into that game. Are they actually going to have people paying these prices to park and watch UNLV football? I'd be stunned uh, for what this program is supposed to be this year. Uh, Look, the cheapest ticket for the Eastern Washington game is $33, which is the same price for Utah State, for San Jose State. Um, The cheapest ticket for the Iowa State game is $121. (laughs) So let's just play this out and say two tickets to the game, and you want to park the car. All right, so $242, and then you want to park on site, and it's $150. $400 to get in the door of a UNLV football game? Are you kidding me? So I'll say this much when it comes to UNLV and the parking situation. We all knew that there wasn't going to be much parking with this stadium. The Raiders screwed everybody when it comes to that. There's no getting around it. They're like that. That's that. But when... The money is on the table. If I knew that the money I was paying for a parking spot was going to UNLV and was going into the athletic department and into the development of student athletes, et cetera, et cetera, I could swallow and bear it a lot easier than MGM, (laughs) a lot easier than me going over to the Mandalay Bay parking garage for $50, which, by the way, as you mentioned, is by far the cheapest. It's like 75 to park at some of the other MGM spots. Uh, I could swallow it as opposed to I'm giving my money to the strip. Yeah, the the whole parking situation, like getting out once there's a regular season game and it's full and people don't leave throughout halftime in the third quarter, like in the preseason game, like there's still going to be some more issues with parking and, and people getting in and getting out of Legion Stadium. But for Raider games on a Sunday, I don't think it's as big of a deal because that is an event that people make their entire Sunday out of like that. you like, when you go to an NFL game, that is at a minimum half of your day. Like nobody's really planning to go to an NFL game and it's not, Hey, this is half of my day. A lot of people, it's the full day. It's the other events there that it's really going to suck. Like it's the other events like a UNLV football where it's much less of a priority, but like any of the other events that if you want to go to as a local, like that's where the parking's going to suck because there's a lot of things that, okay, I'm not making my entire day this UNLV football game, or I'm not making my entire day this concert that I'm going to, but that's still going to be a nightmare getting in and out of, or you pay the 50, 150 bucks to go to the game, which also sucks. And as of right now, you're still not even really guaranteed to get in or out of that parking spot very quickly before or after the game. Like those are the events where this parking is really going to have a massive issue on the stadium or the, or a massive issue on the people that are attending the events at the stadium. Well, this is sort of the second layer, Tyler, to the $750 million that the state of Nevada gave to the Raiders to build this stadium. Second layer is that beyond the fact that they gave away the tax money, they gave away the tax money for the purpose of drawing in tourists. Like That stadium is not placed where it is because anybody gave a damn about the locals. Nobody cared about the locals. That stadium is where it is so that people can stay at rooms on the strip and walk to the stadium. That's in the economics that is in the study that was used to justify building the stadium so not only did you spend our money and again you can argue that it's money that's being generated through the room tax and so it's mostly tourist money but it's the same concept of 
you're raising money that we're not spending on ourselves. And then you're also saying, and by the way, you locals are last in line for this thing. Yeah. And it's like if you found 20 bucks on the side of the road, it's not your money, but it is your money now. And now you can't spend it on anything you actually want to spend it on. You have to give it away to somebody else. It's what it is. So one other UNLV football topic here. Uh, Paloma Viacana tweeted out this morning that Doug Brumfield is back at practice. He missed practice with an ankle injury yesterday. But the Tate Martell is limited in practice. He has his right thumb taped up. Um, first off, do you have an opinion on who's actually going to be this week one starter for UNLV at quarterback? At this point, no. I, I, and I, I mean, maybe you do, but I think it's almost impossible at this point to have a strong opinion on who should be starting for that. Right. I don't like. I don't think it'll end up being Tate Martell just because he got a much later start than everybody, and he's still limited. Like he's he's still hurt. He's coming back from a surgery. But what I actually think is going to happen, I think we're going to see at least in Week One the same thing we saw last year, where we're going to see two and maybe three quarterbacks play for UNLV in that game against Eastern Washington. I have a feeling that Marcus Arroyo is not actually going to name a starting quarterback. We'll have to put one out there for the first snap, but that he's going to do something like he did last year where he doesn't name one and he gives two, maybe three guys snaps in that game against Eastern Washington. Well, and then look forward to the second home game against Iowa State (laughs) and, of course, the Arizona State game uh, as well and realize that probably just based on the fact that they're going to be getting destroyed in both of those games, you're going to see multiple quarterbacks in those as well. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah, you'll have, even if somebody's named a starter, if they have three drives and don't pick up, but two total yards on those drives. Okay. We're going to somebody else because listen, Arroyo can play, you know, I don't know, be coy about who he wants his quarterback to be. Maybe he's already decided, but I, I tend to believe the reason that we don't know UNLV's number one quarterback right now is because nobody's actually won the job, that nobody has actually proven that they're better than the other option, that they have actually taken that job. And so you're going to have a season where, okay, you're okay. Maybe if Rumfield starts, he was slightly better than Justin Rogers or Cameron Friel or Tate Martell. But if you see in a game that he's playing horribly, okay, we're going to put in somebody else to try that out. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, given the way the schedule is set up, there's a very good chance we see multiple quarterbacks through the first four games of the season for every single one of those. And it'll be just like last year where, yeah, Max Gillum was the starter, but we saw a different quarterback in pretty much every single game, you know, we played, which I don't know. I mean, I I think we probably make too much of the idea that, hey, you you shouldn't be playing multiple quarterbacks when we talk about teams that don't have good quarterbacks. But it does feel weird that we might be 10 games into the Marcus Arroyo era and he's still in none of the games has actually picked a guy to say, hey, that's my quarterback. Let's go get it done. And I'll give Marcus Arroyo this much leeway. Last season's really tough to judge anything by. I mean, with the COVID season, with the lack of practice, with the in and out availability of guys, like it's really difficult to say that that's a year where you should have gotten significantly closer to knowing who your starting quarterback is going to be. Now, if we're six games into this season and no one has stood out, then I think you have a legitimate question as to what's going on here. But Again, this this is a team that won zero games that is expected to win maybe two, maybe three this year. There aren't many jobs that are secured, whether it's the quarterback or any other position on the field. So there should be competition everywhere to see where they can improve. All right. Coming up next, we are going to have Candy's Chonies, maybe the best part of the show. But first, we have two tickets to give away to go see Jackie 
the Joke Man Martling. Saturday, August 21st, 9 o'clock show at the Comedy Works at the Plaza. So two tickets to go see Jackie the Joke Man Martling. The best comedy in town is downtown at the Comedy Works at the Plaza. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. We will take caller number three at 702-364-1100. Candies, chonies. Wait. Candies, chonies. You don't call your bread buns. What do you call them? Candies, chonies. Bread? Candies, chonies. Well, bread is a substance. What do you call the units of bread you use? Breads? Congratulations to Lou. He won a pair of tickets to go see Jackie, the joke man, at the plaza. And now Lou and everybody else listening gets to take a trip inside to see Candies, chonies. What do you got for us, Adam? I did not approve Lou going into my chonies, but <laughs> I'll do whatever I have to do to support the station. Um, inside my chonies today, um, we're, we're going to do things safely, all right? I want everyone to take their time, evaluate their options, and make sure that this is where they want to be. So the first number I'm going to give you that you need to determine what this number is, is 12 billion. All right, there can't be many things that are 12 billion, but I don't have any clue as to where we're going with 12 billion. Okay, all right. 12 billion is related to the National Football League. Okay, uh, 12 billion. Uh, all right, I, I got nothing for you. Okay, Reuters says that $12 billion was the total for something in the league last year. Uh, is that the... Um revenue they did not earn from fans being in the building close enough so in 2019 the nfl generated 16 billion dollars in revenue in 2020 the nfl generated 12 billion dollars in revenue the nfl lost four billion dollars in revenue last year in a year where they had been projected to reach 16 and a half billion so we saw the effects quite obviously of COVID-19 and fans not being able to be in the building or only being in the building in limited capacity. Huh, wonder why we're talking about this. Okay. Um, 12 billion was also another number. It was kind of a trick, but you got at least one of the two. Uh, 12 billion was also the amount of revenue generated by MGM resorts in 2019 oh. prior to the pandemic. Um, MGM resorts, has 74,500 employees, and they announced yesterday that they will require those employees to be uh, new hires and salaried employees to be vaccinated against COVID-19. So you have the protection of the National Football League and the protection of MGM resorts behind the Raiders in announcing that all guests will be required to show proof of vaccination in order to go into the building. Okay. Your next number is 51 and 51 is a percentage Ooh, all right is that um mm, that is the rate of people that are vaccinated in the entire country that is the rate of people who are vaccinated 12 and over in the state of nevada oh, okay. uh very close um and i you i give you that number in part to illustrate the fact that it is a majority, albeit a slight one, of people who are eligible for vaccination in Nevada who have been fully vaccinated. That doesn't count people who've had one shot uh, thus far. And also to counter anyone out there, if you happen to be someone who tried to come at me on Twitter earlier saying that 56% of people in Nevada would not be able to go to the games, 
get your numbers right before you come at me sideways. Um, let's see here. What else can we? What else can we come up with? What else is inside my chonies? Hold on, I have to reach my hand in there and see see what's available. Do you? Do you is that okay? Do you mind if I absolutely? Do you did, mind if I just dig in there in and, as deep as you need to to find anything? Uh, yeah, I, I just I'm trying to make yeah yeah. It's not there's not always a lot of room in there. Um, okay. Here comes your your next number. Are you ready for a number that is completely unrelated to vaccination? Because we <laughs> okay. probably have annoyed everybody thus far. Um, whether whether you're pro or against. Uh, the next number is 88%. And is a number that has changed significantly over the last week. 88%? Uh, 88%. All right. Do I get another hint here? It is from baseball. Oh, um, okay. Uh, Houston Astros odds to win the AL West. Houston Astros odds to win the AL West is 88%. Uh, this number was in the 60s, not all that long ago. And yet the Astros are only two and a half games up on the A's. I was trying to explain to someone who is not an Astros fan recently the way you were talking about how uh, the Astros play terribly against bad teams. The Astros have a 483 strength of schedule winning percentage against remaining. The A's have a 517. Those are the respective lowest and highest in the AL West. I don't feel like that gives you confidence that the Astros are still going to win the division, though. Well, they just lost to the Royals last night because their backup catcher can't throw anybody out who tries to steal on him. Um, the next uh, four series of the A's and the Astros, the Astros are currently playing the Royals. Then they will play the Mariners. Then they play the Royals again. And then they play the Rangers. Meanwhile, the A's are currently playing the White Sox. Then they play the Giants. Then they play the Mariners. And then they play the Yankees. Over the next four series, the Astros should go from two and a half to five and a half, six and a half lead in this division. But I don't have much faith because they keep losing to these terrible teams. And I cannot figure it out. Like the Astros have the best record in baseball against teams with a record over 500 or better. But for some reason, they're like struggling along like one game over 500 when they play a team that's under 500. It is it's infuriating because they should blow this away. They should blow it away. OK, so that being said, how about a number of 14 percent? 14.4, in fact. Uh, I'm going to guess that's like World Series odds or win the World Series odds. The Astros World Series odds are 14.4%. They are second behind the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are four games back <laughs> in the NL West. <laughs> does does Fangraph still project the Dodgers to win the NL West? Uh, the NL West is 55% Dodgers, 45% okay. Giants. The make the playoffs odds for both of them are obviously extremely high. Uh, here's what's gotten really interesting. The San Diego Padres are now 47% to make the playoffs. Yeah. The Cincinnati Reds are 43%. Yeah. The Reds are one game in the loss column behind the Padres. Yeah. Are, are the Padres actually going to make the playoffs? I still think they will, but they are pitching Jake Arrieta on Wednesday. And if we're, if we're looking at schedules, if that actually ends up mattering here, they have a brutal schedule to end here. Like, it's not a good schedule to end the season for the Padres. And the Reds have a much easier schedule. Even, like, if, like, the Phillies don't end up winning the NL East, like, the Phillies have a much easier schedule. Like, there's a legitimate chance the Padres won't make the playoffs, which would be a disaster if you're the Padres, considering they went all in this offseason with signing any big-name pitcher they could find. Like, yeah, it'd be a complete disaster. But it's I still expect them to, but I'm not fully convinced they will. 
No, they're 67 and 54. Their remaining strength of schedule is the hardest in the major leagues, tied with the Baltimore Orioles at 535 winning percentage against. You know who has the easiest remaining schedule in the entire major leagues? Is it the Reds? The Cincinnati Reds. Uh, wow. That NL Central must be nice to play in that division, huh? The, yeah, the Cardinals are 61 and 56. The Cubs are 52 and 69 and sinking like lead. And the Pirates are 42 and 77. <laughs> Imagine having the Cubs in the division and how bad they've been, and they're not the worst team in the division. By 10 full games. <laughs> how about having the Rockies in your division and the Diamondbacks are 15 games behind them? Oh, the Diamondbacks. Yeah, I so the the NL is the NL West is fascinating because you've had, you know, the Brewers exist, but for the longest time it was oh, the three best teams are in the NL West, three best teams are in the NL West. But it looks like the Padres, I don't think you can really consider them one of the three best teams in the NL anymore. Like they they're they're on the edge of missing the playoffs here if this scheduling plays out how a lot of people think it will and they end up missing. Like it's it's certainly possible, which would be I'll be honest with you. I want to see the Padres in the playoffs and not just because Ed Graney is my co-host and we can make fun of him because he hates the Padres and they might beat the Dodgers in a wild card game. They're just more interesting than the Reds. Like there's nothing about the Reds. I'm that interested in other than maybe Joey Votto. Like I guess Amir Garrett's there. He might fight somebody, but like, I want to see Fernando Tatis in the play, even if it's the one game against the Dodgers, like they're much more interesting to watch. So I'm absolutely rooting for them to get this, get in this over the Reds. I would have been 100% behind you until Joey Votto discovered the fountain of power youth, started hitting home runs everywhere, and then stole the Jamie Tart goal celebration for every home run, where he takes both hands, puts them above his head, points his thumbs down at the back of his jersey, and just goes, me, 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 over and over again. It's glorious. Has he actually been doing that? Yes. Oh, I like Joey Votto. He's fun. And he also See, said, now I can make now I can make Ted Lasso jokes with you, Tyler. Yes. You're part of the club. Yes, it's fun. Has Jared, do we know has Ed watched Ted Lasso? I can't remember if we've asked him about no, that. No, he okay. there's no way in hell he has. Or okay. or if he has, he was like watching a Dodgers game and his like he got so upset that his daughter and his wife started watching Ted Lasso and he was just like about <laughs> Kenley Jansen. Well, we'll still we can still make the Ted Lasso references, and he'll just well, he'll, we he'll, make Star Wars references in front of him, and he just fair. stares blank faced at us and reads the newspaper. That's fair, uh, Adam. What are the Yankees' playoff odds right now? Uh, they are at their high water mark for quite a long time at fifty six percent, thirteen percent chance to win the AL East, forty three percent chance to get the wild card. They are 66 and 52. They are a game and a half behind the A's for the second wild card. They are two games behind the Red Sox. And in half an hour, they begin a doubleheader against Boston in the Bronx. Okay. So, Tyler, you said the Reds have someone to fight somebody? Amir Garrett. He's okay. from here. He's great. Yeah. All right. And uh, obviously, the Yankees have rough neck Odor. Like, <laughs> is there a way we could just get this, this World Series settled? So you're going to have to have the number two wild card in both leagues make it to the World Series. I'm pretty sure the Marlins have done that in one multiple times. So, you know, it happens. Well, here's here's the best part about that. If it's not Odor, the Yankees have an offensive line on that team now. Like Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton, Luke Voigt, Joey Gallo, and the little guy is Anthony Rizzo. Who's 6'4". Who's bigger, that that select group of Yankees or the New York Giants' actual offensive line? 
I would trust the New York Yankees <laughs> five power hitters to be the New York Giants offensive line beyond who's there today. Right now, like as we're talking, Dave Gettleman's been doing his annual press conference, and I'm terrified to look at Twitter and see what he's been saying. <laughs> All right, coming up next, Cynthia Freeland joins the show. How about Trevor Lawrence? Think start game two? I think there's a decent chance. I, we haven't made that decision yet. I don't believe any of those statistics. I think it's all hogwash. You're locked in the press box. Joining us now from NFL Network is Cynthia Freeland. Cynthia, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? Good. Um, Do you have any hot takes that you're proud of or ashamed of after week one of the preseason? I mean, I guess I like, I think it's very like, Sad. It's actually very happy. I'm I, I'm glad I'm this way. But I was so giddy to just watch the ball and so happy to have it back. That I mean, I was watching some garbage games and I thought that I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm so happy. So I mean, whatever. But you know, I was I was a little overly excited. That's all. So when you say you're watching garbage games, it was watching Ellinger and Eason battle it out for the Colts' starting quarterback job. You better believe I watched that game like super intently. <laughs> so how long did that take to wear off, though? Because I think I had a little bit of the same feeling. And then by the time I was in like the middle of the third quarter of a game and I couldn't identify five players on the field, I was like, ah, all right, what else is on? Okay, so I'm going to tell you something kind of funny. I'm, I'm doing the Bills sideline for this preseason. It's a really fun gig. I'm learning a ton. As I, I did not grow up as a broadcaster, so you know this is a new experience for me. And I was at that Bills Lions game, and you know the Bills played a handful of their starters only for not even many of the snaps. And the Lions were playing their starters into the fourth quarter. <laughs> it, was, it was a little funny because they were, you know, cheering as if it were. I mean, look, Dan Campbell is a real meathead, so he was just taking his meathead ways and imparting them on it. It, it was fun. <laughs> it was very fun, but it was it was a little funny because. You know, the Bills guys are like, like you know, act like you've been there before. The Lions players definitely had not been there before. And I, I grew up in Michigan, so I can say that because it comes from a place of having watched and been let down and loved this team for just ever. So it was, it was quite funny. So even that didn't get old to me quite yet because, you know, it was, it was just so good to be there. Did you get to interview Dan Campbell at any point? You know, I didn't, but they fired their trainer. They fired their trainers 60 minutes before the game and then played their starters into the fourth quarter. Wow. So I had a slew of, I was hoping we could maybe at least ask him in private, if not in public, what is going on? Wait, I, I, I was unaware of this. They fired their trainer an hour before the game started? Uh, okay, the, it might be 80 minutes, 90 minutes, okay. about an hour before. <laughs> he, right? he probably so don't, said... don't quote me on the precision of the time, but yes. Probably said don't play the players <laughs> all the way into the fourth quarter. <laughs> You know, that, that's kind of the implication. At least that's my assumption. And I didn't ask him personally, but it's so funny. Like, I mean, it's just so Lions. Like, it's so Lions. If you, if you're ever, if you, any of your listeners are from Michigan, like, it's just so incredibly Lions, but it's, it's just funny. Just comp, pure well, it, it Obviously, the trainer told all of the players, listen, don't literally bite <laughs> knees. And Dan Campbell's like, no, 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 you go bite knees. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So now, yeah, go ahead. It's just funny. It's just funny, you know. At least, like, he cares, you know. You can tell he cares. He's just kind of a meathead, so. So, Cynthia, you you spend most of your time trying to 
uh, get people to understand the you know the use of data in evaluating the <laughs> NFL and what do you find to be the biggest challenge in general to getting people to uh, you know to warm up to the idea of what the numbers can tell you? Well, I think the hardest part is that you know sometimes a lot of people who are attracted to this numbers field they're like introverts. I'm an introvert too, right? And so sometimes when it comes to communication, they don't take the time to cultivate the skills of communicating to make sure that people understand that they're not saying that anything's like black or white is always shades of gray. So the whole point of all of this numbers, like business and the whole opportunity around using analytics in football or any sport or any job is to be incrementally better. So you're just making a higher quality decision. doesn't mean all your decisions are going to be right. It just means you're doing it for a reason so that you can understand the process and go back and, you know, the things you have control over are the process, not necessarily the outcome, and that's like everything in life. And then if you think about having data and more inputs and the more structured inputs that are relevant to the decision you're trying to make, you're going to, make, you're going to give yourself a better opportunity to make a more successful decision. So people get mad when, the, when you know, like if you pick a game and, and you're like, you didn't pick the right winner, and you're like, buddy, like you're never going to be 100% in these things. You have to understand that we're just making higher quality decisions, right? Nothing's finite. Like there's no, like I said, no black and white. It's all shades of gray. How far away are we from the average NFL fan sort of understanding that, that it's about trying to make the better decision, not necessarily just about the outcome? Yeah, I think we're actually, look, the, the problem is, like I said, a lot of the data people, the communication can be a little, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you, my first time, you know, being on TV and stuff, like, it felt super vulnerable, and it felt, like, really scary and different and, and not, you know, I, had, I went to business school. I gave presentations, like, in, in, you know, my corporate job prior to this one, but communicating on something that people care about as much as football can be tricky, so... Sometimes we get like in a shell, and if you're not a super dynamic storyteller or a speaker or you're not cultivating that skill in yourself, it can be hard to get people to understand what you're saying. And then the problem is, is this, the pace of football moves so fast that it, it just seems like the narrative becomes, oh, the stats said you should have done this, and there's no context, when really that's not what the good numbers people are doing. They're giving the context. It's just the communication is the part where it kind of falls off because, unfortunately, you know, you know how important it is. You can say something a little bit wrong or a little bit, you know, incorrectly. And it, it can be, you can get replays of that on the internet forever, right? So it just gets a little scarier if that's not your, kind of your home and where you're coming from. So it's all about communication. I think average fans do kind of get it and they're coming around really fast. Football fans are smart. They know what they're looking at. So they don't like the BS, right? They, they can sniff out some BS. So they're starting to come around to it because they see that people, you know, who are doing this profession are doing the work to like be like just so you know like you can go read all of my stuff online like here's what it is it's nothing's finite it's not just an attention grabbing highlight so, so there's obviously a lot that we can quantify and there's a lot in the numbers and then there are some things that are, are a little bit more difficult you know especially for you know for us here in vegas and working with betting and trying to handicap things <laughs> you know sometimes trying to understand different coaches and being able to understand their decision-making process can be difficult. So I'm all coming around to a tweet you put out yesterday talking about the strategy of using the challenge flag now and how that might change this year and looking at uh, how Frank Reich did that in the preseason. Maybe uh, elaborate for people on what they might be seeing in terms of how coaches choose to do that this year. So the the rule has changed. By the way, preseason is a 
it's a dress rehearsal for everyone, which means that in like we saw in that in that exhilarating uh, Colts game, we saw the first taunting penalty, and I don't think I think that one was probably a little too. They were being a little too conservative, so I think we'll see, like. I think they, you know, you'll be able to see something like that in a regular season game. But remember, the refs need to—they need to have practice with it too. So when I talk about the what's going on with the with the challenges, the way that it's working now is there's going to be a like a basically a person in a booth re- reviewing every play, and they can call a challenge without a coach needing to initiate it. So that means that a lot of times now you're going to see coaches waiting till the clock gets down to like 20 seconds. It depends on the coach what, what that number is. And it changes the, the pace between the plays because then they won't have to burn their time out. It will give the booth enough time to review it. Consequently, if, if it's a crappy play, they'll try to get it off faster, right? So you'll just see some, some strategic, you'll see some strategic use cases probably, you know, in two-minute situations, in four-minute offensive drives, stuff like that, where you're, you're going to see a coach try to, let the booth call it so they can preserve their timeouts. And obviously early in, like in the first quarter or in the third quarter, if something weird happens, they don't want to burn that timeout or potential timeout, a coach's challenge. So they'll let it, the, the clock wind down a lot faster. But it, like I said, it could change the pace in you know, two and four minute drills where you're, where you're really using pace and the fast, the quick pace. You'll see when a coach thinks that the, the call is BS because they'll, they'll wait longer. And you can game that in terms of how many snaps are left in the game. Cynthia, you had uh, stat projections up on NFL.com for some of the leaders this year. And the one I was most curious about was Matt Stafford projecting as the uh, fifth highest in terms of passing yards this year. Passing yards, not the best way to evaluate which are the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But like, do you think we're talking about Matt Stafford as like, oh, he's a borderline top five quarterback now that he's in LA this year? Yeah, I think last year he... Like, he finished, if you're looking at fantasy numbers, which obviously super indicative of real world, but <laughs> last year finished around, like, 16, and that's not where he, like, should be, right? Like, you, you have to look at what Matt Stafford can do, and it's that deep pass, and it's the deep passing opportunity. That will be, like, a great uptick for him in this McVay offense. Now, I would feel a little bit better about anything to do with Matthew Stafford if Cam Akers were playing, because you obviously want your best players on the field. Like, you know, there's a real big math thing that says, the good players equal more wins. That's the equation you need to know. Um, but but it's you know Matthew Stafford's ability to to connect on the deep ball, especially in what I believe is the hardest division in all football. That's going to be that's going to be a key and a clutch moment. Especially look at some of the secondaries that he's going up against. I mean, obviously you know you've got I I, I question what's going to happen with the Niners secondary. Like they just made some moves this offseason. I don't know what's going on with the Seahawks secondary. I think Arizona, they're going to have to be throwing the deep ball. I think Arizona's going to be a boomer bust team this season, and I think their defense is a strength, but I, I think their corners are burnable. Their safeties are better, but their corners are a bit burnable. So I think the opportunity exists for Matthew Stafford to really show us kind of, again, I'm a Detroit fan, and I think Matthew Stafford has been underrated his entire career. So, and part of that's because he plays for the Lions, and, and now I think he'll get a chance to really like kind of step forward and show us what he's got. Cynthia, when we talk about the Sean McVay effect on Stafford, I'm, I'm curious when it comes to NFL head coaches in general, and I guess this could probably be broadened out to organizations in general, what NFL organizations have been the most progressive in terms of the use of data to help inform whether it's their in-game decisions, their roster building, or any other way to try to be better? You know, the funny part is, is they've all they all have adopted some form of it. I would say the Ravens are on the bleeding edge. I would say the Browns are on the bleeding edge. I would say 
um, you know, the the Cowboys, their sports science is ridiculous, like in, in the best way possible. Like the way that they, you know, like in basketball, we talk about load management and stuff like that. In football, they do that with like how practices are constructed and they track and, you know, there's so many, like I use a fitness tracker. I'm sure a lot of your listeners use a fitness tracker, like, but the way that they're able to use them in like really cool ways, not just like GPS and heart rate or whatever, they do it like with their knees and their hips and all these different cool angles. They're really progressive with that. Taking a pretty big step forward in terms of their sports science as well. Um, I'm trying to think who else is, is good with the pure analytics. Um, you know, again, the Rams are the Rams have a very strong analytics department as well. And actually, the Kansas City Chiefs are in really good shape with their the way that they bridge the gap between scouting and they they probably do the best bridging the gap between like how do you navigate free agency plus what's going on in the draft to have the most effective and productive uh, free agency possible. So every or off season possible, right? Free agency plus the draft. So they're very good at using kind of arbitrage of like, you know, they, they like pick stocks. They pick very good undervalued stocks. How's your fake horse? She's great. She's great. I need more fake horses because fake horses are first and foremost, they're going nowhere. Like this NFC craze is very interesting. The next, the next version of this is going to be the intersection of utility and game. The gamification. I hate that word. Ridiculous, but you know, being able to play games, and that's what these that and and the and the Z the Z ponies are the first ones to be kind of both of those things. You can play games with them, so they have like some like residual value on secondary market, but also like they have their own intrinsic like I'm using the word utility, but you know, you can breed them to create more uh, characters for a game, so it's a, like kind of a self fulfilling prophecy, or like it keeps fueling more. Um, more interaction in that environment. So uh, the the ponies are rats. The ponies are really rats. Yeah, they're great. Have you heard about chickens? I've, oh, I'm I'm buying like all of them. There's like chickens and zombies and apes and this and that and the other. It's crazy. I, I think that I, I think it's interesting to um, to see where it's going. I I don't know the chickens as well, but I, I've heard. You know, I'm, I'm I have it all on this big list of like things I'm tracking. Chicken Derby. There's a drop on Friday if you want to get some of the first chickens ever made. Who doesn't want a chicken? Exactly. What would you name your chicken? Well, we haven't been. So me and a, my friend, we own, uh, we have 19 of them right now. We haven't been able to name them yet. They haven't you have opened 19 them. chickens. Yeah, yeah, it's great. We haven't been able to name them yet. They're just chickens followed by a bunch of numbers. But yeah, we bought 19 chickens. Because you should. Yeah, I love exactly. that. I love everything about That's that. That's great. That's it's, so good. We're going to retire off of fake horses and fake chickens, and Cynthia Freeland is here to tell you it's all a great idea. Come buy my chickens and horses. we got a horse to sell for anybody that wants one right now. It'll be great. You have a whole farm going on out That's there in right. Vegas. I didn't know Las Vegas was known for its farming, yeah. you know? Not great weather. That's why uh, we got to do it all online. It's got to all be fake. It's a fake farm. <laughs> uh, she is Cynthia Freeland. Farm. Yes, from NFL Network. Cynthia, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks so much for having me. She has not raised her horse yet. She does need to get more horses. We sold a horse for $600 this morning. How much did you pay for it? Uh, 88 bucks to breed it. All right. See, All right. We're, on the, we're on the right track here. That's so right. you, with your minority ownership, got like, what, 50 bucks out of this deal? Uh, yeah. So, And here's the... Well, it's probably not actually a good thing for us because it makes... We need to go to break very uh, yeah. badly. The horse we sold for 600 bucks has finished in four races, 7th, ninth, 7th, and 11th. The best odds they got were 19 to 1.
terrible horse that we sold for $600. Come buy more from us. Yeah, those nine beers you had, guy, is going to cost you a night in jail. So he's having his moment. That is a decision you will live to regret. Yeah. He sounded disappointed in the guy running on the field. Oh, I think he's there to do a job. And what? Be disappointed in the guys running on the field? I've just never heard him disappointed. It's great. Um, All right, Adam. I do want to get to um, a certain cornerback for the Dallas Cowboys, Trevon Diggs, uh, who is the brother of Stephon Diggs. And Stephon Diggs tweeted... Have we been to the moon or not? Question mark. Trayvon Diggs replied or quote tweeted him saying, no, I don't think so, honestly. But that's not the best part that he is denying that we went to the moon. The best part is his reasoning for why he thinks we didn't go to the moon because he followed, finished that tweet with, it'd be the same couple pictures on Google. So Trayvon Diggs doesn't believe we went to the moon because when we went to the moon, there were only like five pictures taken. There weren't enough pictures taken for him. Like he wants new pictures every year. So Trayvon Diggs and the Diggs family doesn't sound like they believe that we went to the moon. Of all the things that could concern me about relatively widely accepted facts that people are choosing to deny right now, You're okay that with this is one? down on my list. Yeah. That's pretty far down. This is like when... They, it turned out that Robert Hayes believed mermaids were real and dinosaurs weren't. <laughs> like, when I found that out, I was like, all right, the backup defensive end doesn't, uh, sure. <laughs> okay. I, but have you, in any of the, like, hey, we didn't go to the moon, like, people, anything you've ever read, have you ever read that it's because there's not enough pictures on Google of it? Uh, no. Uh, okay. no, it's been much more about it was staged in Hollywood yes. than uh, than it was about <laughs> that there aren't enough photos like that. Apparently, the press pool wasn't large enough, uh, you know, on the sh- mission my, to the moon. My favorite, my favorite we did land on the moon thing is the flag looks weird. And it's like, it's in space. Like, like the, the, the li- least ex- expectation that you should have if you're in space is the flag moved a little different. We're in space. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't think Jeff Bezos is going to go out there and stick a flag out the window to see how it looks? It's but there's no. That'll be the real test, Jared. So there's no air pressure, then so we'll it's going to act weird. The flag do you think? Weird. Do you think that maybe this was a little bit of a setup though by the Diggs brothers? Do you think maybe they were just auditioning for a place in Lamar Jackson's vaccine study group? Yeah, I mean, I was a little worried when I when I read it that hey, are they screwing with us? Because. Uh, Trevon Diggs hasn't said anything else about it. I don't think Stefan Diggs has either. Um, oh, wait, no, Stefan Diggs did. He came back and said, I heard some stuff about the flag being blown by wind and there's no wind or something. And then quick answers because I got to get back to work. He was like looking for actual answers on Twitter about the moon landing. <laughs> I love it. You know what? We all should take Twitter that not seriously. <laughs> it would be a better place overall. No, Twitter's great. It's great because just the right amount of people take it extremely seriously. It's wonderful. I wouldn't change Twitter for anything. It's the best. We got it. You go to go to TikTok, Adam. It's much less serious over there. Oh no, no God, no, oh, no, come on. Get I, on TikTok. I, no. It's so as great. Soon, as, 
No, as soon as they see my age, they're going to kick me off. No, you can be old on TikTok. Old people go viral all the time on TikTok, Adam. 